Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would turn there. And let me ask the question, is church really necessary? Because everybody knows I can hear better singing and better playing somewhere else. I can be entertained a lot better elsewhere. And it's a lot of effort to get out of the house on time and get to church on time. And besides, I stayed up real late. And I know that as soon as the pastor starts talking, I'm going to fall asleep. He has that effect on me. So, why do I sign up for this? Why do I go to church? Do I need this? Is it necessary? Well, in our scriptures today, Peter says that the end of all things is at hand. And there are a number of things that should be happening in order for us to be ready for the end of all things. And the only way these things can be done is at church. You need church because we're approaching the end of all things. And you need to prepare for that. So I'm reading in 1 Peter 4 from verse 7, if you want to read along with me. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Peter says the end of all things is at hand. And that's a little bit why I read about the last judgment. Church is where you hear the truth about the end of all things. I know there are lots of end of the world type scenarios being broadcast today. Even the BBC is tending towards the apocalyptic. You know what the apocalyptic is all about? It just means the end of the world, the last things. And you get that. I'm, I'm reading, you know, the BBC app. So I'm drinking my coffee. I'm talking about wildfires. And the headline, 
No place is safe. <laughs> That's cheery, he said, drinking his coffee. What else is going on? Well, cyber attacks, deforestation, systemic racism, gender dysphoria, pride, unfounded, baseless conspiracy theories. But you can also get websites offering updates on the world situation, what's happening in the Middle East, news about vaccine side effects, Chinese oppression of Uyghurs, ocean pollution, and fake news. But you know, yes, we appreciate all that stuff, but church is the one place where you're going to get context for all this. Because all of this is expected, predicted, and written down, showing us that Jesus is coming back to the earth. You know, if you only look at what's going on in the world, you're going to get paralyzed, overwhelmed, frustrated, and probably weirded out. Throw away your future. Why should I hope? Because the world's a mess and it's getting worse. But when you go to church, you get the full gospel. And the full gospel is that Jesus came to die for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. And he went to heaven. And he's coming back again to set up the kingdom of God on earth. And that will be the end of all things as we know it on this planet. There won't be any more wars. There won't be any more governments intent on taking over the world or imprisoning their people and oppressing them. I don't know what we're going to do for groceries. Bank accounts? Broadband? I don't know. But it's the end of this system as far as we know it. That's the only system we know, but it's going to end. So here we keep emphasizing the context for everything. Why is the world the way it is? It's because man has fallen away from God. You only get that in the Bible. Why does everybody mistreat one another? Because the context is everybody has sinned and fallen away from God. And see, we don't live in fear, cowering, and we're against vaccines, and don't do that. <laughs> we don't live in fear. Because everything that we see shows us that the Bible is true, and on top of all this, we can look forward to Jesus. 
We're not looking forward to the Antichrist and 666 and bombs going off and things from the bottomless pit. So we're going to be continually reminded of these things. And we don't live in wound up fear. And I just saw a prophecy update and now I'm scared to death. No, we relax. We say to everyone, you know what? This is your last chance to repent. I'm not worried, but you ought to be worried. The end of all things is at hand. But then, you know, there are some people who do not take this seriously. As if anyone who says the end of the world is at hand is some weirdo. Like you see sometimes in memes, some scraggly bearded guy with a sign saying the end of the world is at hand. And he's a joke, right? It's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote that. Do we take that seriously? And the answer is yes. We agree with Peter. And the point is, again, only in church you're going to get the historical context. We're here because Jesus actually came into history at the time of Caesar Augustus. And everything is according to history. Jesus began preaching during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Everything is tied to known people in history. It is historical. And just as Jesus came into history the first time, he's coming into history again. And the fact that scripture was fulfilled by Jesus' coming means that scripture must be fulfilled about his second coming. And Jesus' coming is more certain than the economy. He is returning. And so, one reason that you need church is you need context and you need to be reminded about where we're at. You're not going to get that on the BBC. Does everybody get that? Now, church is where you get clear-headed and sober through prayer. Peter says in verse 7, Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Jesus said this about his return in Luke chapter 21. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now Peter, who wrote this epistle, was standing there in front of Jesus when Jesus said that. 
and it's still ringing in his ears. He's passing that command onto us who are alive right now and waiting for that return of Jesus. And the day when Jesus comes is going to be a snare for all those who dwell on the earth. Now, a snare is a trap that you don't see, because if you saw it, you would say, <laughs> I'm smarter than that. I'm going to walk around it. So if you could see it, it wouldn't be a trap. You don't see it. You don't expect it. And then it happens so fast, it's over with before you know what's happened. And you're in it, and you can't get out. Only if you watch in prayer can you escape that trap. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, Prayer is important because that's how you keep contact with God. When you praise God, you're seeing his glory. When you give God thanks, that's because you're looking around you at all the good things that God is doing. When you ask God for things, you're focused on God providing for you, not the Argos catalog. Or I've done all my research on the internet and I've looked at all the user reviews and I've kind of narrowed it down and I'm pretty sure amazing, I'm sorry, Amazon is going to get me what I need. But when you ask God for things, you say, okay, God, what do you think? Is this something I need? Or it's just me with my, you know, my shopping motor is revved up, and I'm thinking, this is going to solve my problem. That's going to solve. That's going to satisfy me. And I'll just keep on a steady diet of acquisition until somehow I scratch that itch. What do you think? And he might direct to something completely different. You go, whoa, I wouldn't have even thought of that. But that solves my problem. Thank you, God, for providing. Or when you confess your sins, you're looking to God to get you right. Now, we could live with our sins and just go, oh, I'm doing a terrible job. I'll never make it. I know I won't make it. I know I won't make it. I know I won't make it. So now I live in fear. But when we even confess our sins, he says, okay, let's fix this. Let's stay in fellowship. So you need prayer in order to stay in contact with God. And when you're not praying, then it's easy to sin, isn't it? And what happens is, if we're not focused on God, we're going to get focused on other things, and these things intoxicate which is a big word that means it poisons you. When you get intoxicated, you're not aware of what's going on around you. And you're mostly in your head having fun feeling intoxicated. You're not thinking about what's coming next. You're not 
really engaged. So here's a funny thing. As you pray, you stay clear-headed, sober, and aware of your surroundings and aware of God. If you're not praying, then it's easy to get intoxicated and unaware and unthinking. And again, as I was meditating over this and thinking about it, I'm thinking church, again, is a place where we pray. We promote that. Not only in the, the mornings, the evenings, we have a time here to pray with the guys. Anybody who wants prayer can have prayer right now. So we talk to somebody, they're having a tough time. Can't find a job. Don't know about my future. I'm struggling in this area. We don't have to say, well, I'll pray for you. Walk out the door and forget. We can say, I'll pray for you right now. It doesn't have to be televangelist style. Your voice get all quavery. <laughs> don't do that. I don't want people looking. Just pray for them. And it's amazing how when we pray for one another, we can keep in contact with God. The alternative is just to drift off and become oblivious to what's going on around us. And it's easier to look at our phones than to pray. That's always going to be the case. Church is where we love one another. That's the most important thing, says Peter in verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And fervent means intense. Intense love. Now, Jesus warned in Matthew 24, and this is the same time with the disciples where Jesus was talking about pray always that you may be able to escape these things. He also said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We live in the times when our love for one another will grow cold. Paul talked about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. The perilous part of it is that that's going to be in church. 
people in church will be lovers of themselves and not lovers of one another. That's perilous. Now, Peter was there, and Jesus said, the love of many will grow cold. So he's saying to his readers, don't let that happen. In fact, let your love grow hotter. And if you know that Jesus is coming, then you prepare for his coming by growing in love. Now, you know, we know this isn't easy, right? Because love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't suffer with a short fuse and say, you know what? I'm done. You're a hassle. In fact, you're prickly. And I can't stand you anymore. We're done, you and me. Love doesn't do that. When you love people, it costs you your comfort. You know, anybody can love anybody who's nice and sweet and generous and kind and never does anything wrong. I can do that. But how about loving somebody who tests your patience? Somebody who's awkward, who says strange things is not consistent, messes your life up. Why are you laughing? Do you know someone like that? Ah, so, ooh, true confessions in front of everybody. Love is about relationship. Life is about relationship. If you don't have any relationships, you're in bad shape. So what you need to maintain those relationships is love. Without love, you can't have a relationship. All right? So in order to stay in relationship, you have to communicate and speak the truth in love. Any issue that doesn't get spoken about is going to be the issue that the devil attacks and then you blow up a relationship. So we have to, in love, say, you know what? That was awkward. That hurt me. That was tough. Did you mean to do that? And then we can apologize and give mercy and forgive one another. And we can keep our relationships together because I love you. And that means you're more important to me than my own personal comfort. And it has to be that way. Jesus said that all men are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, nobody else can love like Jesus. He puts up with us. Did you know that? Don't you marvel at that? He hears what you're thinking, and he still loves you. He sees what you do, 
And when you come back to him and say, you know what? That was so wrong. I'm so sorry. He forgives you every single time. And you know it. Only Jesus can love like that. And when we love one another, it's visible proof that there's a God and that he lives in us. If Jesus doesn't live in you, you are not saved. Even if you're a nice person. Because Christianity is not about being a nice person. It's being saved by Jesus, being indwelt by Jesus, and loving people. Now, church provides that opportunity to love people. Here's why you need church. Because you need to love other Christians. Now, some people say, well, you know, I wander in a tremendous landscape and I worship God and that's my church. Well, that's fabulous. Can you love anybody? Do you make the move to love anybody? Do you have that drive in your heart that says, who can I love? Who can I bless? Who can I serve? That dimwit who is wandering under the fabulous landscape is fooling himself if he thinks he has a relationship with God. Because if we're born again, and if Jesus lives in us, then we love the ones who are also born again. And we want to be with them. And we want to love them. And we want to love them and love them, even if they're irritating. We say, you know what? You're so irritating. <laughs> and I love you. Okay? We're speaking the truth in love. You're a real sliver on the banister of life. Did you know that? How I love you. Because that's the way Jesus treats us. He says, man, you're a porcupine. How do I love you? Very carefully. Ow. I love you. He'll do that. Now, here in church, we know what to do when our relationships get out of order. We talk to one another and we iron it out. I've had some really heavy-duty conversations with people. People who are pushing back on me. And so I'll push back and we'll talk and we'll get it ironed out so that we see eye to eye. See, when you speak in love, what you're doing is you're making it clear that you're more important to me than me getting my own way. And if there's something that you see that I should know about, I want to know about it. But whatever seeks to divide us, that is the issue. That's the enemy, not us. So you and me, we're on this side. And whatever the issue is, that's the enemy that we're both of us going to deal with in love. That's how we stay together. 
Now, hard things happen at church, and I'm sorry about that. I've made mistakes with people, and I haven't always loved. And I'm sorry. And it humbles me into the dust, and I ask Jesus to forgive me, and I keep on going, and there is nothing else, guys. So we get forgiveness from Jesus. We turn around and give forgiveness and mercy to everybody because that's what we're about. And if we don't love one another, we're nothing. This is how we get ourselves ready for Jesus. Now, church is also where we practice our love for one another practically. Did you notice verse 9? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You mean it's the end of the world? What's hospitality got to do with it? But it's got everything to do with it. See, it's okay to say, well, I love you. Isn't that wonderful? But what happens when somebody needs help? And see, John says in 1 John 3, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, love is not necessarily a feeling. It's an action. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means God the Father puts his own son whom he loves to death for us. None of that felt good. But that's practical. So now, we want to show our fervent love for one another practically by laying down our lives for one another. Somebody needs something, we do it. We show hospitality, especially to people that can't pay us back. Because Jesus is going to repay us at the resurrection. And without grumbling means we know this is going to be costly. It's going to put us out. People are going to spill their food on your carpet. Did you know that? But Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. See, we're aware that when we're serving one another, we're serving Jesus. That's practical. Another way to practically love one another is through exercising spiritual gifts in the church. Now, spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ in love. And as I read earlier, even the gifts without love are nothing. So our speaking is nothing, our giving is nothing, our serving is nothing. You gotta have love. But without the spiritual gifts, 
to deliver the love of God, then all we have is our own strength and our own love. And that is not enough. My love wouldn't tell anybody that Jesus is real. You know what I mean? So I need, I need spiritual gifts in order to deliver that love of God. Just think about this, the gift as the cup that delivers that love, which is the water of life. No cup? I can't deliver that. So I know people think about spiritual gifts like superpowers, you know? This isn't the church. We're the Avengers. What can you do? It's not, wow, that guy's fantastic. It's about loving one another. And you notice that each one has received a gift there in verse 10. Each one. So you believe in Jesus. Guess what? God's given you a spiritual gift. You go, really? Me? He said so. So? You've probably received more than one. Now, the Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he wills. And he has manifold grace. Notice that there in verse 10? Manifold grace. It means like, for instance, many colors, not just one, like a rainbow. But it also means many-sided. Think about facets on a diamond and how you're looking at all the different ways that light is refracted by a cut and polished stone. Now what that means is God's grace is not all the same, and he doesn't make us all a brick, the very same. What God does is so creative, he's not going to repeat himself twice. What he does with you, he's not going to do with anybody else who's ever lived or ever will live. He has that much imagination and that much ability and that much grace. He's going to do something that only you will do and nobody else. So that means there's no substitute for you. You think, well, it doesn't matter if I show up or not. Nobody cares. And that's not true. As a matter of fact, the church suffers when you're not there because we've just lost your gifting, your capability. And nobody can replace that because everybody has their own. Do you see that? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? You really are one of a kind. God is doing something in you that is totally individual. So, if you don't know what your gifts are, there's 1 Corinthians 12. You can read a whole list, and you can see, okay, what have you made me to be? What have you given me, Holy Spirit? But you know what Peter does here is just reduce it down to two. Speaking the Word of God, 
and serving practically. That makes it really neat. Speaking the Word of God is a great service to the church. And I put the emphasis on serving because it's not a performance. You know, teaching the Word of God is not like telling jokes. When I'm funny, it's unintentional. I don't have anything scripted here. That's because I tend to be a funny guy. Guys that are not funny should not try to be funny. It doesn't work. But when you teach, you, the whole person is involved. So like it or don't, sometimes I'm funny. But that's not why I do this. You know, it's about how fabulous the Word of God is. And ever since I've been a believer, I have been floored by the Word of God, amazed by how wonderful it is. And I thought, boy, this would be the greatest thing in the world if I could do that and bring out the wonderfulness in the Word of God so everybody else looks at that and goes, yeah, you're right, that's amazing, that's incredible. So, that's my gifting, get it? That's not the only thing I can do. But when I do it, it's to serve everybody else. You know, I work really hard so that when I get up here, I'm not wasting your time. And I'm aware of that. I can tell when people are checking out mentally and just saying, okay, Rob, speed it up. We're, we're done, pal. Not so good this time. Try it again. Okay? But the whole purpose of this is not for my benefit. It's for you. That's why I work hard during the week. That's why I'm teaching now. So here's one way to serve the church is through the Word of God. That's why we're doing the guys thing on Thursday nights. I want to find out who else is like-minded, wants to serve the church in this way. There won't be many, but there could be a few. Now, there are different ways to deliver the Word of God, but just, just know this. That service is fabulous. Through the Word of God, you can comfort somebody's heart and, and relieve their suffering because they're worried or anxious or discouraged. That's a tremendous service, don't you think? And we're serving through the Word of God to build people up to keep following Jesus. But here's another use of spiritual gifts, practical service. Serving in a minister, okay, is sounds heavy duty, but it means serving. And Paul speaks about helps and administrations, spiritual gifts. You know, organized people who can get things done. Don't you love organization? Don't you hate it when things are just 
not organized and nobody knows what's going on and it's just like, do I have time for this? And uh, Bible teachers are fabulous people, right? But administration people are fabulouser. Sometimes I feel like Bible teachers are a dime a dozen. Where are the people who can really organize a church? There must be somebody here that has this feeling like the disorganization here drives me crazy. I'm speaking to that person right now. If you're that organization person, you're looking at the disorganization and you're saying, mm -hmm. if I only had a chance, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, that has to be done, but nobody's doing it. Oh, but I better not say anything because that would be like putting myself forward. Well, you can just talk to me. I'd like to shake your hand. You are most welcome here. You get the message, right? Talk to me afterwards. And you know, Peter says that all these things, everybody loving one another, serving one another, it goes to glorifying God. That in all things, verse 11, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now see, this is what people need to see at the end of all things because they do read the BBC and they do look at websites and they can see that not everything is running the way it's supposed to. And sometimes baseless conspiracy theories actually look pretty plausible. And so people need to see hope. What is gonna bring hope? A group of people who love one another and lay down their lives for one another. There's nothing like this on the planet. Nowhere else. And so, this is our preparation. This is how we prepare for Jesus to come back, is to be his people, Yeah, that's it. Be his people. <laughs> I was going to be very, but I couldn't. So look. You need church. You need to keep the plot and the context in mind. Otherwise, we're going to be just like people out in the world. Everybody read about Health Secretary Matt Hancock decided to blow up his relationship with his wife. He let her know a couple of hours before he resigned as Health Secretary. He's going to run off with one of his aides. Now, do you think that Matt Hancock was thinking that day when he got married to his wife, boy, I'd like to have an extramarital affair and blow up my marriage that I'm just starting right now. 
Do you think he was thinking that? He would have said, that's stupid. I'm getting married. We love each other. I wouldn't do that. Oh, but then something happens. And his love gets cold. Meanwhile, here's cute Abe just standing around here, spending more time with her than with my wife because I'm a health secretary. I got a secretary all that health, you know. So he blows up his relationship with his wife. Michael Gove just blew up his relationship with his wife. Now, we want to keep the plot. If they can do it, if they can blow up their relationship with their wives, we can blow up our relationship with Jesus. Only we don't want to. Now, if you want to keep a stick burning, you don't pull it away from the fire and just stick it over there. Because it's going to go out every single time. So if you want to keep that stick burning, just stick it back in the fire. Lo and behold, it burns. So you think about where you are, what time it is, and where Jesus is at. This is the time to stay in church. Does everybody get that? You need church. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have made a place for us. where we really can grow in our love. We can burn freely and not be consumed, just like that burning bush. How does it burn, but it's not consumed? It's because of you. Your love burns, but it doesn't consume. It doesn't destroy. It builds up. And you want us to be that visible expression of your love. And we're not sufficient. We are not loving, but you are. So please, would you fill us with your spirit fresh and wash us and cleanse us? Would you please teach us how to serve the body in love? Forgive us when we don't love. And then do something wonderful in us. Enable us to show mercy to one another and to forgive one another. 
and encourage and build up. Motivate one another. Help us to love one another. We trust in you to do this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.